Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and as a language nerd, you know every month I have to have a good, solid conversation with somebody who loves languages as much as I do, if not more. And the guest on today's episode is a hyperpolyglot. Now, the president of the International Association of Hyperpolyglots, because yes, that's a thing, he claims that a hyperpolyglot is anyone who can speak at least six languages with fluency, which damn, that makes me one, while other people consider 11 or more languages the baseline. And regardless of if it's six languages, 11, 12, or even 20 languages, the guest on today's episode is undeniably a hyperpolyglot. Hello, I'm Richard Simcott, and I'm the founder of the Polyglot Conference, and I love languages, and I've studied over 50 of them myself. Il y a des gens qui me regardent comme une vache espagnole, pensando que soy loco con todos mis idiomas. Pero a mí me da igual. Y continúo aprendiendo, practicando y disfrutando de un mundo cheio de cor. Tengo más posibilidades para hacer amigos en muchas partes del mundo. That was Richard Simcott, and he made a video telling a story, one continuous story, in 20 languages, and it's brilliant. All the languages that I speak, he obviously speaks perfectly, but I, I was just shocked, jaw-dropped. I met him in Berlin a few months ago at Expo Lingua, which is a language conference, and uh, he's also the founder of the Polyglot Conference happening in Mexico at the end of this month. So we talk about a lot of things. Obviously, the core of our topic is language learning, but you see a lot of trends that can be really to anything in life. Like defying all odds when people go out of their way to tell you you shouldn't do something. You're gonna want to take notes for this one. Kill the intro, sis. You know she's not your average Joe, not your average Joe. Richard, I am so happy that I get to hang out with you for one hour, hopefully more, because we hit it off when we first met. Absolutely. I mean, you're cool. <laughs> you're so cool. And I didn't actually know who you were, which I'm so upset that I didn't because you're so impressive, so amazing. And that's the best part. I think that we connected just by sheer energy. And then when I found out who you were, what you did, what you've accomplished, what you stand for, I'm like, this man is the coolest. I need to have him on the podcast. You're making me blush. <laughs> Basically, uh, on peut faire l'entretien en français. Bien sûr, oui. In italiano. Oh my God, now I like, ho dimenticato il mio. Italiano, ma dai. Va bene. Allora, nata lingua. And in Illinica, I was like, oh, hello, you, Illinica. That's crazy. If somebody hasn't heard of who you are, how do you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Richard. Um... <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I, I tend not to talk so much about these things unless I'm in a context where it's relevant. Just because I think, for me, it's been a build-up of learning languages for many, many years since I was a young child. I recognize that if you if you go up to someone, you go, 
Hi Richard and I speak all these languages. It's, it's kind of a bit weird. First of all, I feel a bit strange doing that. Secondly, it can come across as a bit, what's this guy's problem? Uh, so I tend to just see we can find common ground and I like to get to know people on a level playing field on our own terms. And I've often found that sometimes I'll talk to somebody, I don't mention languages, but I'll talk to somebody who's on their journey, maybe they might be learning a language, maybe the first language, and they tell me some really cool information about what they're doing and I really enjoy their story. They might ask me some questions later and later find out that I really like languages. And I'm very, very pleased that I got to listen to them before they got to know that about me because it meant it was kind of, we could just talk and it wasn't someone asking me the questions. I could just enjoy what they had to say and enjoy their journey. And I've learned quite a lot of things from people who are monolingual. And so it would be a real shame to to automatically be kind of put on this pedestal of, of, of being this language expert or something like that, because really you miss out on a lot when that happens. And yes, that does happen to me as well, because obviously for work, for certain things, I, I am put on that pedestal sometimes. And I'm very aware and conscious of it. And I, I try to bring it down a little bit because after all I'm sort of very ordinary type of person. Speaks 50 languages, like has learned 50 languages in his lifetime is not ordinary. But listen, I love this take and I agree with you. After digging on the internet, I found so many similarities between us. Mm-hmm down to the time where we started learning languages. So one thing that I found amazing was that you have really taken the term lifelong learner to heart, Mm -hmm. starting at five years old, which I would love to get into. Mm -hmm. But then also the fact that you believe learning languages should be a bridge, which makes sense that you're saying what you're saying. It's like, there's something that you can learn from anybody and everybody and language is a tool to expand Mm -hmm. that possibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I really, I, I don't just say that because I, I think it sounds cool. It really is true. There was a guy at university and he was just studying English, um, regular English speaking guy, didn't speak another language, but he was so well read. And I learned so much about language just by speaking to him. But also when it comes to language varieties, because when I mean, we talk about languages, right, and language is the term we use, we talk about we're speaking English. But in fact, we, we speak different versions and different varieties of what we identify as being English. And there'll be many other people who speak other varieties of the same language. Whenever I go to somewhere and speak to somebody who speaks another variety of English, I'm constantly learning something new. And I just, I love that, that, that whole thing about you and what you discover in real life, you know. So lifelong learning, it's a funny expression because... I absolutely am 100% behind it. I think that we all do it. It's just we don't like to identify with that label always. And so you'll get people who who just talking to people down the pub or they'll they'll go out, they'll meet people at work or something and they'll learn something. You're always learning something. It's just how much we put a sort of focus or a spotlight on that learning and how much we recognize that as an important part of our lives. And for me, that that is an important part of my life. Now your average Joe, takeaway number one. It's so important to become a lifelong learner, but not just say it, like be about it. A not average Joe knows that there's something to be learned from every person, every experience, every fail, and they prioritize learning as a core value in their lives. In other words, being a lifelong learner is not something passive. It takes some planning and strategy and execution. And y'all know I love this word, analyzing. So let's go down memory lane. I would Mm -hmm. love to kind of go 
through your journey of learning language, starting from you were born in the UK in Chester, was there any language kind of exposure there? So yeah, I was I was born originally in the UK. <laughs> originally, as in not afterwards, born somewhere else. But yeah, I was born in the UK. <laughs> and my my family is is from Wales and Liverpool primarily. So you know, Welsh and this sort of English, but Liverpool's this hodgepodge of different peoples that moved there and came there. And so as a as a city. Uh, we're quite proud of our diversity in Liverpool. I grew up around Chester, which is definitely a very white <laughs> city in the UK and not so diverse. But we do border Wales and you know, in Chester. And so you hear Welsh and you also hear accents from Liverpool and from other parts of Cheshire uh, that you will just very commonplace. So I was always really interested in that accent diversity, that linguistic diversity just within English and also then Welsh. And for me, yeah, that meant that I was constantly trying to copy different ways of speaking. I just really enjoyed doing that. I thought it was a lot of fun. And hearing the different words and which words people knew and which words people didn't know. And and then seeing how people use the language as well, hearing how people use the language was, was just fantastic. And of course, we have a lot of, as you're in the UK now, right? So you, you hear this diversity of language in such a small geographical area. You don't need to go very far in the UK to find people who speak really quite differently to um, where you are. And that's something that I had too. So, you know, you'd hear Scottish accents. We also had a lot of American TV and film. And so you, 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 I'd play with these types of accents too. And then Australian uh, English, because we had these two shows, Neighbours and Home and Away, which are really popular when I was growing up. And like everyone could do like a bit of an Australian accent like that, you know, it was like really amazing. So we all got into this kind of imitating things and at school. It was a cool thing to do. And there was even a, a thing that they found that uh, the English spoken by my generation at school started having an Australian inflection in their English. So you might still hear this now where people say, so I went out and it was really good and I had a nice time. And that's really Australian because Australians talk like that. And it's like really cool. And like I had a great time. And, and, and that's how the sort of languages sort of all collide together. And that's just this so much cool stuff and so much beauty there when that magic really happens when we retain our identities we retain our flavors we retain the elements of us what makes us and what makes us diverse what makes us special but we're also covered by this thing that unites us kind of like a salad i love the salad analogy we're all kind of tomatoes and and different things and bits of onion bits of lettuce bits of but even bit, put some pineapple and tuna in there, whatever you want. But you just drizzle it with a bit of oil and you sort of bring us together and blend us so that we infuse each other with our own flavours and our own takes on the world and our own histories. And that's what diversity and language and people and culture, that's what it's all about. Getting the best yeah. of everything and getting a taste of everything. Not letting it all just melt away into a big melting pot of everything's mushed together. That's not diversity. For me, this is the, the coolest thing about 
um, our world. And then you started dipping your toes into French when you were five in school, correct? Yeah, so I had French from the age of about five in school. It's very hard to pinpoint the exact date I started, but yeah, it was around then. And school, I went to this school in Chester and they, they tried to get us to learn some French and I was just super excited about it. And I was, I'd started going on holiday with my family at that point as well for like summer holidays. And I'd hear these other kids speaking different languages and I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I would ask them how they'd say certain things. Like I'd be in Spain and I'd say, oh, what do you call that? And I was looking at words written down and trying to figure out what they meant and and then I'd go back home and I'd scour all of the bookshops to find these old dusty books with sort of language learning methods. It wasn't like nowadays, unfortunately. Um, we didn't have cool mobile phones with my cat on to be able to. Cute. <laughs> I know, so, cute, right? Tell me if that's so cute. cute. So wow. we didn't have all that kind of stuff, you know, to easily get hold of this information. We We had to get these books and tapes cassettes and then later cds and this is what i did i used to go around and look for them and try and find things i've got like tons and tons of books that way and i just loved that i could play with language and play with reading about different people from different times and stuff it was so cool not your average joe takeaway number two i always like to look at my life in multiple timelines so my child version my current version my future version and it's really fascinating that your childhood curiosities tell you something and i i always believe that we don't necessarily change we just evolve one of my favorite journaling prompts to ask people is what were you always really excited about as a kid naturally not just because somebody told you something was cool like what really set your little tiny child heart on fire Looking back at my childhood, it was clear that I was a nerd, I loved books, I loved learning languages, and I loved memorizing rap lyrics. And in my personal journey, it's very obvious that nothing's changed, it's just evolved. I'm now a bigger nerd who reads more books and learns rap lyrics in different languages. It's all connected. And then it came to a screeching halt when school didn't let you learn German as well. Same thing happened to me, Richard. They didn't let me learn French and Italian at the same time. So I wrote a letter to the principal and I got permission but that was not allowed, which I think is so bogus. So can you talk about that experience and also now the the thoughts that you have on learning multiple languages? Because I'm assuming, like me, like right now I have a book in Italian on my coffee table, books in German, I'm writing in Greek. Like I have, this is a day-to-day -day kind of, mm -hmm. just all of this is in my brain. But the education system that we grow up in, apparently not just in the U.S., but in the U.K. as well, mm -hmm. they try to kind of limit that. They did. So tell me, did you get permission to do it in the end? I did. I did. But it was because I was like so aggressive with it. I'm like, I grew up speaking Portuguese. I came with my reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, I learned English when I was five as well. So was born in Brazil speaking Portuguese, but I had to learn English. And so my argument was, I grew up bilingual. If anybody can do this, it's me. And then mm -hmm. they gave me the, the permission. I'm very glad that you got that experience. Um, unfortunately, my story is not quite as happy. I went to a school that had zero recognition for any of my linguistic interests, let alone ability to learn language and I was told and look at you now honestly <laughs> look that, at you now <laughs> <laughs> I mean not to not to say exactly I'm not treating this as a sob story because I carried on and I did my own thing right and I think 
what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is what they say and there is quite a lot of truth in that to a degree I think but I was unfortunately told many many times by many different teachers how stupid I was and I, I wouldn't amount to anything and I wouldn't be able to study and I wouldn't be able to do certain things so yeah throughout my schooling really I was just told stop daydreaming you're and you'll be lucky if you pass your school let alone like go on to university I just went to this high school that was quite negative high school by the way in the UK for anyone listening from the US when we say high school usually we talk about 11 the age of 11 not 14 for sort of you know freshman year in in US high school I, I I was put in the bottom class the whole year was split in half and then each each half had one sets one two and three and they put me in the bottom set for French even though I had studied it before uh, I arrived at the school I was getting 100% in obviously all the tests because I've been studying since I was five they they said, oh, maybe it's a fluke, maybe it's just very lucky. And they wouldn't move me up. Like in maths, they let me move up to the next grade, the next set. In, in French, though, they wouldn't. They said, oh, you have to wait till Christmas. And then I got to Christmas, and um, then they did let me go to the next set. So I was in the middle set. And there was one more set, right? And you had to be in this top set to be able to do German the following year. And then they said, because you've moved one set in a year, you can't move two sets in a year in an academic year. Just like these limitations just kill me. I just turned 12 at this point and I'd started and they, they didn't offer me German. And I, I was so like you, I got my mum to write a letter to say how much I wanted to do German. And they still said no. Wow. But you know what? Those are the things that you never forget. Like it's yeah. been decades of you studying language but you're telling the story like it just happened absolutely <laughs> still remember the very disappointed child inside me that, that went through that but I kind of made peace with it uh, on on my own level and studied my own languages outside and and sort of took to just doing what I wanted to do outside so it didn't stop me doing that it's just that I had to be fairly resilient and I learned resilience people will turn around and tell me I can't do things or I people had expectations or perceptions or points of view about me that were not true and, and I learned that lesson very very early on in life and so I'm kind of grateful that I came out of that on sort of on top later I went to university I studied languages and then I went to Germany and lived in Germany and learnt German and then I worked through German and then I have studied using German and I taught my daughter German from a very young age so I've kind of owned it so you know no hard feelings in particular but but I mean yeah like you say it's a broken system and and the teachers were short-sighted they couldn't know what they didn't know no they couldn't they couldn't imagine not your average Joe takeaway number three. The not average Joe doesn't ever really take no for an answer if they genuinely want to accomplish something. It just means problem solving and getting a little creative to find an alternate route. This is essential in character building. The most successful people that I know always, always, always talk about how they had to overcome barriers consistently. Like when there was no energy left in them, they still went forward with whatever mission they were on. And the DIY route is always harder, but it makes it far more meaningful in the end. We're gonna take a quick break, but before I forget, I'm gonna be starting up another 21 day language challenge sometime in the next few months. It might be a new year situation. If you wanna join the waitlist and be the first to hear about my 21 day language challenge, V2, click in the show notes and sign up with your email and you'll be on the list. So when I launch it, you'll know and you'll join me on the 21 day language challenge. We're all going to get a little bit more fluent. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So you're considered a hyperpolyglot, one of the most prestigious. I know you don't want me to toot your horn, but toot toot. <laughs> one of the most prestigious in the UK. And honestly, like in my personal world, that title of a hyperpolyglot, somebody who speaks more than 11 languages, that is not common. I, I was just reading that only 1% of the world consider themselves to be polyglots. Somebody who speaks, I believe it's five or more languages. And so hyperpolyglot is even more specific. How have you navigated this world? Like you moved to Germany, you started speaking German, and then you, you really built your entire life around mm. languages. What happened after university? Yeah, I very much feel that it's... I don't know if you know The Field of Dreams. It's a film that had starred Kevin Costner. The famous line from this film is, if you build it, he will come. And it's about Kevin Costner cutting down, basically taking a huge gamble, cutting down everything, uh, all the crops around his house and building a baseball field. And then these ghosts of great baseball players come and play a game on this for him and for his family to enjoy. And everyone thinks he's absolutely crazy doing it. And that's kind of my story. So first of all, it's it, it's not common for many people from the Isles to, to learn languages. I, not being just English, also I, I have my Welsh family and I was I grew up very conscious that they gave up their language and their heritage to a degree to give a better start to their children. I mean, the reality, as we know nowadays, is a huge colonial backstory to what happened to people and what happened to, to the nations. And of course, the Celtic nations have, have lost a lot linguistically, culturally, and uh, have been very much anglicised to, you know, many, many, many people have been anglicised. And I grew up very conscious of that. There were things that I needed to reclaim. I had family from Thailand, and, and that was an element in my life. So I had all of these different things working. And then school and then the university, I did my degree in this combined languages and had to do a minimum of three languages. So I kind of really started collecting languages like Pokemon. And... <laughs> <laughs> because I because I just liked each individual language, I fell in love with it. They all had their own reasons, right? It wasn't me just on a whim. But but my friends, were, surprisingly, were actually very supportive. I mean, I did get the odd comment, what are you going to do next? Learn, um, at the time, it was called Serbo-Croat because it was Yugoslavia. Next, you'll be learning Serbo-Croat and your head will explode. And I was <laughs> My friends tell me my head gets bigger and bigger every, like my forehead, because I already have a big forehead. One of my friends said, Joe, if you learn any more languages, your forehead is, you're just going to go bald. Like maybe that's why you went bald. That's what happened. That's what happened. Exactly. (laughs) You learn too many languages, you go bald. See? Or it starts going down here. Careful, you might end up with a beard. (laughs) Bald with a beard. We'll be twins. I'll just be a little bit browner than you. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so yeah, it, it is. It was interesting because I had that background, but also like some of my best friends had these parents at home that spoke other languages. Right, two of my really close friends as, as kids, their parents were from Bangladesh and they spoke Bengali, and they had to learn Bengali at home, and they had to go to the school to learn the Quran and you know talk, talk about learning Arabic to read the Quran. That's amazing. Can I come? <laughs> And they're like, no, we don't want to go. Why would you want to come? And they were, they were like, why Why would you want this? Like, it's so cool. You've got Bengali and you've got Arabic. Mm-hmm. And they were totally against it. But I was like, wow, that's fascinating. I wish I wish my mum was Bengali. That would be amazing. And, you know, very in, in a very innocent way as a child, I, I honestly was like, I wish I wish I had family from Bengal so that I could the Bangladesh, you know, the, the Bengal region of either India or Bangladesh where they speak this language. It's like I I want that. I really want that. But obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> and you can wish as much as you like. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. I mean, as a child I wanted to be an African elephant. But of course that didn't happen. I've not got the ears for it. I don't know if you can see, but my, my ears oh, are way too small. We also um, have tiny ears. Maybe it's a thing. Ears. Look at that. Wow. We are twins, Richard. We are. Honestly. I think we are. You're my sister from another mother. <laughs> Spiritual, really, brother from another mother. Maybe the mother is from Bangladesh. Maybe that's what happened to us. We were separated. <laughs> so, okay, basically, your friends became supportive, and you were learning tons of languages. Let's talk about the career aspect of your life because I saw that you worked for the foreign department. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so I did. I, I I did do that for. For a while, I joined the diplomatic service, um, U.S. State Department equivalent in the U.K. It was what everyone said to me, you know, <laughs> you should be working in, in something like that. You should go and join uh, the foreign office. It was an obvious thing for people to say to me as somebody who liked languages. So I applied and I got in and I did. And I, I spent time working on pro- international projects in London and Scotland. Got to use my languages on those projects, which was amazing. And then I, I went and did some time in embassies abroad. And, and that was also pretty cool. But when my daughter was born, I wanted to be at home. And that kind of lifestyle where you're sent away and you're, you're working long hours. I wanted a child because I wanted to be part of my child's life. And so everything changed really, really quite drastically for me. And I was like, I, I need to find a way to be at home. So I started working from home. So did you, you maintained your job in the, in the government or you got a no, new I job? No, I stopped. I left so that I could, I could be at home with my daughter and, and get a job where I'd be online and at home and available because I, I think I just recognized that for me personally, having a child meant that I wanted to be able to give my all. And look, even if I had money, even if I were rich, that money can be spent. The only sort of treasure that I could really give was kind of what was in my head, my knowledge, my my time as a, as a father. And so that's what I did. I, I gave up studying languages for maybe the first three years of her life and focused on her and uh taught her French and English from birth and then added in Spanish and German from the age of 16 months and with my wife we spoke Macedonian of course so she had Macedonian too so she she got five languages from me uh me and her (laughs) mum not just me wow does she still speak yeah yeah she speaks all five yeah you I need to meet her yeah she's like 15 now so she's um wow and and the cool thing is that she likes maths and she likes computers and the languages is just fun thing that we did that we just did it because it was easy fun normal life and I've, I've done my very best not to drag her into my world because I personally didn't want that for her I wanted it to be her life and her choices I was like I'm gonna play it safe and and just not mention her that that much just the 
only from a linguistic point of view of what I did as a as a as a parent. Um, right. Which I think is interesting for anyone. But yeah, she's she speaks all five and Amazing. she understands others as well. She's she has learned others over the years. That's so cool. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the if if you build it, they will come. What does that mean? down the road of your career and what you were able to accomplish like you you do so much and i am so excited to go to the polyglot conference i'm so excited so talk about that a little bit like what does that mean to you what did you build that no one was like really asking for that then they eventually started coming because <laughs> same honestly yeah so i mean it means a few things to me um basically it means that if you love something that much you need to make it fit around your life. You need that to be, or your life to fit around it. The whole language thing, the whole loving lots of languages and studying lots of languages and wanting to do all that, I had to find ways to incorporate them. So it wasn't that somebody came up to me and said, here you go, here's a job where you get to speak eight languages, right? That, that, that never happened. No one's looking for someone who speaks more than maybe three or four max. No one. No businesses, no companies. And the reason they're not is because... They know that they're going to get like maybe one application if they're very, very lucky. When it came to um, to work, to give you an example, I got a contract to work six months in a call center in Manchester. I was working on the German team. So my primary language was German. I wasn't really speaking much English at all. But my team lead was from Uruguay. So I spoke to her in Spanish. Then I also volunteered to take calls from the other teams. So I started taking calls in Italian, Spanish, French, Swedish, Dutch. And, <laughs> and I was using all of these languages just in this regular call center work. Uh, but it was an enriching experience for me. It made the job more exciting i'd see the, the the sort of the display go off and it'd say france i'd say bonjour and i'd see it go off and it'd say italy and i'd say uh, buongiorno and then they'd turn around and say grüß gott because they were from the german-speaking part of italy and they'd freak me out <laughs> and then swap to german and then if switzerland came up it was kind of like you know hobson's choice what they were going to speak <laughs> you knew what they were for the say. best yeah Exactly. Always try to look for the opportunities to add value, not value just for the company and for the employer or for the team, but also for me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by if you build it, you've got to build your career around it. And that's kind of I got known for, for doing that. And so they could add more of those calls to me when they were busy. And they would say, you know, do you mind if we give filter more of those calls or join us on our team today? We need more help. And I did that all the way through my career. I just kept adding and using languages for, for various things. And, and then I ended up using them for work, using them in social media, using them then to communicate with other people who loved lots of languages on, uh, online. And that's how the idea of the Polyglot Conference was born. I was like, wouldn't it be cool to get together offline and be, all get together and break bread and just enjoy each other's company? Uh, talk about what we do, talk about our loves, our passions, our joys, our journeys share all of that stuff in a room for two days and polyglot conference was born in 2013 in budapest 140 of us got together and that's kind of where the magic started not your average joe takeaway number four we all know that language learning is extremely time consuming which is why you absolutely should be thinking of ways to creatively bake it into your daily life this one has been a tip on all of the language episodes but it's really cool to see the different variations of what that looks like for richard it was getting a job that would basically drill language in his mind on a day-to-day -day basis and I love that it's so crazy well I feel like it's one of those uh, very isolated things like you being the person at the call center that they would point to and be like oh that guy he could do it all like that's unique 
because not many people can do it. And then when you meet other people who, who dig languages and who are into it, there's almost this respect mm -hmm. because it's not something that you're born with. Maybe you're born into a family like your daughter that, you know, you do learn languages, but that that's not a coincidence. Like she learned those languages because you spent your life learning them and because your wife is Macedonian. How cool is it that you worked at basically like the best language learning situation where it's like calls are being drilled at you. That's like a great learning language technique. Yeah, it, it was that? amazing. Yeah, it was. I've done, and I've done years of that. So are it, you kidding? I need to sign up for this job, Richard. <laughs> You'd be great in the call center. I'm going to do that on the weekends or something. Well, one of my favorite jobs was working at a hostel in yeah. New York. It was the largest hostel in North America. And we had our little name tags. And in the beginning, it said like, my name is Joe. And then it's like nickname, Mojo Jojo. And then it says, you know, I speak English, French, Portuguese, and then in Spanish. And there were these rush hour peaks at the hostel. And it was like my prime time mm -hmm. like every guest spoke a different language and every time somebody came it'd be like i would do the check-in in portuguese i would do the check-in in french i would do the check-in in spanish and then i did the check-in in italian and i started wanting to add yeah. languages i'm like why don't i speak mandarin why don't i speak cantonese like because you just it's a human i think the difference between something like this where you're really speaking to people or seeing people the difference between that and like an app or mm -hmm. something that's robotic, is that you're missing the heart, yeah. right? Like you, I can tell, and this is why I connected with you immediately. We didn't even have conversations like this. You could tell you're a person who leads with your heart. Like you really have a big, huge heart. You care a lot about people, about others. That's why you're curious. That's why you learn languages. But that's why you need to really get that human contact and fall in love with some aspect of the culture of the people to learn and dedicate yourself. Because if you're not in love or you don't have some emotional connection, and I don't mean just romantic love, but if you don't have this like heart throbbing love for the culture or language, it's going to feel like work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Someone, someone actually said to me, and this is the thing is, you know, the amount of hours you need to put into language learning. And there are several hours that you need to sort of spend practicing hearing being immersed in the language using it and learning it and the only way that feels like a lot less than like tens of thousands of hours is if you enjoy it time melts away it's like you, you know you, if you go on a really good holiday and you're there for a week but it feels like you've been there a day because it's just so good or if you go on another holiday and it's a complete nightmare like your your cases don't arrive you're delayed you arrive at the hotel nothing works there's just damp in the room or something. It's the, the world's worst hotel and you arrive there. And it's just, you're like, oh, I can't wait to go home. And every day is sort of, you dread it because the food's horrible and everything. That's the difference between somebody who learns a language and spends the same amount of time, but it feels like that. And because they, because they enjoyed it so much, they took advantage of all the other activities, right? So the person who goes on the holiday, and the holiday's amazing, food's really good, they get to enjoy all the other activities a lot more. They go on the sports adventure thing. They go on the, on the hike and the excursion, and they do all of the things, right? All the things that they can possibly do. And that's your language learner who then not just studies a language for an hour a day or whatever it is. They then also go and they'll watch like that Netflix series. 
they'll listen to the music, they'll drown themselves in the literature, they'll talk to people online, they'll start writing tweets in the language, they'll start finding people on Instagram or on TikTok and engage with people who are creating things about the language or in the language and get into that community. And that's the one difference because those people who went to the awful place and dreaded every meal, they're sitting there in their room agonising over the next meal, agonising over the next night's sleep because they know that it's going to be terrible. They know it's going to be painful. They know it's just going to be awful. They don't have energy to go on those hikes. They don't have energy to go and explore and do sports. They don't want to do anything else. They just can't wait to get back home and be in their comfort zone. It's true. It's really true. What a great analogy. Like first salads, then holidays. <laughs> but I mean, you have a great point. I think the systems in school make learning language dreadful because I, I mean, similar to you, I, the school system that I was kind of brought up in was very restricting, even though I did get permission. I, I didn't like it to the point where I didn't even sign up for language in, in uh, university. Wow. I think I took one French class. I stopped I stopped learning language after like formally after I was 16. And now oh, 15 wow. years later I've like learned I've perfected some of the languages as close to, you know, not that there is such a thing, but like maintain them. I have friendships. I was noticing this yesterday. I'm like, that's so weird. I've been texting friends in French and Italian and English and Portuguese the whole day yesterday and I didn't even realize it until I like laid down I'm like I'm not even thinking about yeah. I don't even have to think like these people I just love these people and they're just close to me yeah and that's and, what it is it's life it's making it and building your your environment whether it's friends or family or where you live it, you build this kind of nest that and you, you 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 basically you feather the nest in the feathers that you want to have in the nest you can pick a parakeet feather to have it a bit more colorful you can pick um you know a pigeon feather just to have that ordinary thing you know that i want to keep in touch with my roots i want to be able to go back and do this and you can have all the things in between as well it's a it's a wonderful thing to be able to do and we do have that choice we have it to different degrees in life each of us has a different uh, nest that we can feather and the different mm -hmm. feathers that we can we can get together as well some of some people in the world will be uh, surrounded by feathers from very different birds not your average Joe. Takeaway number five. What a concept. We all build nests made of different feathers, and the not average Joe makes a conscious effort to have the feathers that they love in their nest. In other words, design your life with people, activities, and learning that makes you feel most alive. I would definitely always say, always try and take what's what's there. You know, this idea of being responsible about, about learning as well is that, you know, if you are in Mexico, because we're going to Cholula, why not learn Nahuatl? It will enrich your experience of a country that is steep in this tradition, history, culture. You will just get so much more out of Mexico if you learn some Nahuatl. And I would say the same if you're in Wales or in Scotland or in Ireland, or if you're in, in Sapni in the north of Scandinavia, learn some Sami. Won't Pick a Sami language that you want to learn and learn it. You do have this very deep passion. That that did come up in our first conversation. You have this passion for studying and preserving indigenous languages, mm -hmm. which I respect so much. And I 100% am so excited to take classes when we're in Mexico. And I hope it, mm -hmm. I can learn something. I don't know. You guys, you guys are impressive. But, <laughs> you know, after hearing a slice of your story, because this is only part one of many deep conversations. Maybe they won't be recorded, maybe they will. But it seems to be 
the seed that kind of started your whole experience, which is this loss, mm -hmm. this feeling of loss from your Welsh heritage that now as like, you're almost like a steward, like a surrogate, maybe you're not from these regions where these indigenous languages are, are fading away, but you want to do everything in your power to preserve them. Why is that? I know why, but I want to hear you say it. There is something really special about reconnecting with heritage language or culture or both. Something really, really special about it. It's almost indescribable. Um, so I'm going to do my best. It nourishes the soul is the best way I can say it. Especially when you really feel a connection, like a strong connection. If you know what that connection is, then you're fortunate, you're privileged if you know what that connection is. There are many people who were taken from countries around the world and put somewhere else they didn't ask to be, who didn't get that choice, who don't get to connect to one language so easily or one culture so easily. And they rely on tests to try and see roughly whereabout they may have been taken from. There are families all around the world like that as well. Even if that's you, I really recommend seeing if you feel a pull towards any of those tests or any of those peoples because there is something really deeply healing about reclaiming that there's something empowering about it i think when you're from an indigenous community or when you're from a community where you don't even know where exactly where where that community is now there's just something so powerful about taking control of it again and it's such a positive step to take because you reconnect and that feeling of reconnection is really special. It's really, really special. So that's kind of where I come from. I'm telling you, your heart is massive. I feel it from here. <laughs> and you know, so for me growing up, and I know a lot of listeners share this kind of story, this backstory. I grew up, I was born in, in Rio. Mm -hmm. My entire family is Brazilian. Mm -hmm. My mom moved us to the States when I was five. When I was in Connecticut, small town Connecticut. No one spoke Portuguese, it was just us. There was this rush to learn English and with that rush came this like shame of Portuguese. And then it became this, this kind of negative experience because when I would call my, my dad or my grandparents or cousins or whatever, they would joke that I had this accent now speaking Portuguese. And as a five, six, seven year old kid, I got embarrassed and I didn't want to even speak it anymore. Mm -hmm. And and then in English, you know, I had the accent in English too in the very beginning. And then I didn't feel American. I didn't feel like I could learn this language. And I think I had this weird, like profound, muffled negativity towards Portuguese. And like the fact that I was taken out of Brazil, like I just felt weird. I didn't feel connected mm -hmm. until I started making videos on YouTube and started making videos on YouTube in Portuguese. And it opened up my world. And it's almost like this feeling of reconnection. Yeah. It's very hard to describe unless you really feel it. It is profound. It hits a nerve in the soul. It does. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you start realizing that you're much different than what you thought you were. Yeah. And in those years of reconnecting with Brazil, doing it on my terms, reclaiming it, my heart, like it, it cracked open to the reality that I had been missing so much, but I was so yeah. grateful that at least I opened the door now. Mm -hmm. And since then, that was around 2015, I've been going back to Brazil more often. I keep in touch with my family more often. And it's just like your life expands in ways that you can't even imagine. And it's, it's like, it gets me emotional because mm -hmm. if I had spent my whole life not honoring that, then I would have lived life 
with such muted feelings mm -hmm. about my culture. Yeah. And I that's an injustice. I can feel that emotion coming through. It's, it's really powerful. I, I love that. I love that you did that. I really love that you did that. And good on you for doing it. But it was almost accidental, right? Like I got yeah. lucky. And I feel like so many people who are listening, they come from these rich cultures, rich backgrounds, and mm -hmm. they, they feel the shame. And that shame prevents them from even opening a textbook or like signing up for a language class. And, and I yeah. know that because I felt that. And then having kind of come out on the other end, I've never talked about this where it's like, hey, if you come from this immigrant background, if you... Yeah have family in another country, do your best to try to learn that language, even if they're not even in the country anymore. It's just a piece of you. It's Absolutely. like your beginnings came from there. And that's powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Owning, owning things is really, it's really important. And, and going back and reclaiming that heritage is, is really, really powerful. And I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad that you got to do it. Not Your Average Joe, takeaway number six. I got emotional on this one. Because when we let language die, we let history, tradition, essence of our ancestors, and where we come from die. If you feel like there are pieces of your history that have been lost or forgotten, I highly suggest putting on your historian hat and digging it out because there's power in reclaiming your context in the world. So good. I mean, again, we're gonna talk for the rest of our lives, inshallah, <laughs> but. Indeed. <laughs> I I would love to have your kind of advice, your okay. your bits of advice, somebody who's trying to learn languages, somebody who's trying to dive into their cultures and heritage and mm -hmm. might feel like there's a block. What would you advise them to do? It's a big question. Over the last two and a half years of the pandemic, I've dedicated an hour a day, an hour a week, sorry, an hour a week of my time to answering people's questions online about language learning. I do this live where... People just come onto my channel and ask me whatever they want about language learning. Um, and I do my best to answer. I pick a topic based on the types of questions I get. I lead in with that with a, a bit of a chat and then answer their questions. Time and time again, whenever I deal with those lives or the groups of... I do language learning therapy groups and I, I, I deal with the whole person. So we talk about things going on in our lives, not just language learning. My biggest piece of advice would be to take a huge pinch of honesty, look in the mirror and not be scared and embrace what you see in the mirror when it comes to what you see reflecting back in terms of your work situation, in terms of your expectations, the reality of your life, what other things you have to do in life and to make sure you tailor your language learning and your goals to fit your life. Because the if you build it, he will come from the field of dreams analogy that I used holds true for you and your goals. We can sit and watch people on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook, on TikTok, wherever we find them on the Internet. And the thing is, is that many times we see the polished version, right? We see the, the polished version of the really good and the polished version of the really bad. And sometimes the polished version of the really bad is the raw really bad, right? But we don't see the in-between, and that's always missing. And the reason it's missing is because it's not very entertaining for most people. So let's be honest about it. So we don't feel like making that content. People don't really want to watch it. But the reality is, is that that bit in-between is the biggest element that is in our lives. The top and the bottom are small bits. Yes, they're more entertaining to watch. Yes, they're more shareable. Yes, they've got more points to them in terms of like life lessons, uh, learning points. 
but they're not our day-to-day -day. when we're kind of middle of the road a bit up a bit down sometimes when we're even very up and very down we need to take all of that into account as to how we incorporate language learning so are we doing things that we enjoy have you found materials that gel with you that you think okay i want to pick this up i want to use it have you got things like music that you like that you can incorporate into your life in that language have you found your tribe online have you found your community the people who you can interact with who are there as support networks for you to get through the goods, the bads, and the uglies? Have you found somewhere where you can actually use the language? Have you allowed time to just think about the language and consider what you're doing and consider how you're gonna use it? Have you got those spaces? How much time do you have to actually study, to read, to listen to it? So all of these things you need to analyze before you even really learn and to, to be very conscious of how they change depending on your mood, depending on where you are in the world, depending on what other things you've got going on. And then once you have that balance, it's easier to maintain it because you've incorporated the language into your life instead of adding a language learning project to your life, because that's right. an imbalance right there. Right, right. And I think that's the biggest barrier to entry. People have busy lives, so they don't know how to incorporate. Like I think about my, my own experience with this, and I'm sure you're similar when I'm listening to music, it's never in one language. When I'm watching things, I try to either have subtitles on or, mm -hmm. you know, and we've ta I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I really like, and I 100% agree with your, your philosophy that it's bespoke. This is not mm -hmm. a one-size-fits-all conversation. You need to look at an individual's life, their passions, their hurdles, their finances, like all of that comes into play to build a learning plan that makes sense for that person. Otherwise, they're going to be trying to cram their lifestyle that doesn't fit into the, you know, the squares or pegs or whatever that are built. And, and that is a service I would like to offer to people to be like, hey, tell me your life. Let me help you build a learning plan. Mm -hmm. But that's something that I've done. And I'm sure, have you done that in your life as well? And like revised so, your learning plan? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, basically what I do is I, I run these therapy sessions where um, language learning therapy sessions, not sort of, I I'm not a psychologist, obviously, and I'm not trying to do the work of a counselor. But what I do is I listen to those kinds of issues and I like, I ask people tough questions as well, you know, because life is about asking and responding and being and standing up to things that happen in life that are tough because they're the things that are really going to stop us from learning if we really want to learn. And sometimes it's recognizing that actually, do you know what? I'm just really interested in playing around with the language. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And just because one person does it and one person says it's terrible and another person does something completely different doesn't mean that I, any of those things are right for you. You are you. We're all individuals. And we might identify with certain groups in society, certain ethnicities, certain genders, certain whatever it is we identify. It's fine. You can identify whatever you want. But you're still only you and you're still an individual. And whilst the world is still fighting and we're still in an important evolution of, of us as, as a species, I'm trying to understand more diversity. The actual real diversity in life is the individual because the only thing that you can tell about me is what you physically see and what you perceive. And it's all based on your own judgments and discrimination and all of your own biases. 
the same way as I know that I cannot interview somebody from India for a job because I will just give them the job because I'm in love with the accent. And I have to admit my racial bias and say, you cannot speak to me in an Indian accent and without me like just completely swooning over the, the T's and the D sounds that you make. Because it's just... Well, it's <laughs> so, like self-awareness. It's like you, you got to know be. yourself. <laughs> you have to be self-aware. And the, the more aware we become, the more we are aware we are that, yes, we can identify in part with other people. And it's great to have community. But also, I'm not you. You're not me. I am me. And my circumstances, my, my being, my, who I am will never be who anyone else is because I've come from a different family. I've got different friends. I've got a different work environment. I've got a different living environment. Geographically, historically, everything is different that's come to make me, me and you, you. And that's brilliant but we need to own it <laughs> and that's how in these sessions we do our best to own that and then to move forward from that point as individuals so beautiful i want to be a part of this these, uh, <laughs> you are absolutely welcome anytime you want I'm so excited okay and so we have felt nourished slash i am so nourished i even cried on this episode which <laughs> makes sense um <laughs> talk about therapy right <laughs> like richard i'm just spilling my my guts we need to cry it's good i know i call them power cries because mm -hmm. it's a, a cry from a powerful place it's Absolutely. a claim it cry <laughs> yeah it's, it's a powerful thing i think it's always good to experience your emotions and and to you know especially especially crying because it can be crying for so many reasons releasing that emotion is working through it's help as a part of working through it right so mm -hmm. we've got to own the emotions and own what we're doing and i i love that you 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 got emotional i think that's a strong sign of a strong person. Thank you. So even though I never want this call to end, I know you have to get back to your many languages, as do I. But before we wrap up, I always ask my guests, the name of the podcast is not your average Joe. So the question is, what tangible piece of advice would you give someone that they could leave today to take home with them? And, and it would make their life a little less average. Not that there is such thing as average, and the more I do these conversations, I'm like, no one is average, because everyone is unique, but you know what I'm saying. Okay, I'm gonna quote something that's quoted quite often, and I think it's quoted quite often because it's very true, and it's a Hungarian uh, polyglot called Katalon, and she said, a language is the only thing worth knowing even poorly. No matter how much of a language or how badly you perceive your ability in that language to be, it's better than not knowing it at all. So go out and learn something because it's better than not doing it at all and staying where you are. That's how we move forward. And that's how you can look back and say, yeah, I did it. And that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Richard for all of his knowledge and his consistent pioneering in the language space. I really think he's a spectacular human being. And obviously his brain is massive. I'll link his information in the show notes. And uh, like I said earlier, if you want to join my 21 day language challenge, don't forget to click in the show notes and sign up with your email address. And uh, please follow me on Instagram at Joe underscore Franco. Let me know what you thought about this episode, what you want to see on the show next. The show has an account as well at not your average joe pod we post bonus clips if you like the show or learn something please share it with a friend and rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts that's the only way i know if you guys are liking the show because there is no comment section have an above average week because you deserve it and i'll see you soon hey yo come listen to my girl man what you doing shit ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 